told uh, told someone this morning this is a, a new level of seeker sensitive. We've got tables, we got chairs, and we've even got one ornamental pew. So if you're not happy this morning, I don't know anything, maybe a love seat or a recliner that we can try to bring in and make you happy. Uh, glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Amen? I want you to turn with me to Hosea chapter 10. Hosea chapter 10. If you go to the Old Testament, go to the end of the major prophets, the big ones, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the first minor prophet is Hosea. And it's minor only based, they use that term based on the size of the, the letter, not the content. For some of the most dramatic words are in the whole Old Testament is issued in these minor prophets. Matter of fact, we'll cover a messianic prophet uh, prophecy this morning. But Hosea is a very unique individual. Do you ever feel like, God, I understand using me and testing me and trying me to share the gospel, but Lord, I just don't know if I can take it. You, know, you ever felt a little overloaded, like, you know, can't, can't you share this burden with someone else? Well, let, let, me, uh, let me assure you, when it gets tough, we often think of Job, but do we ever think of Hosea? Hosea was called of God to share a word with his chosen people, and he used Hosea and his family life to do so. He called Hosea to marry a prostitute to illustrate God's love for Israel and how they had committed adultery on him. Now keep all of that in mind as we read through the scripture today. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12. He tells us in this latter part of the book, sow to yourselves in righteousness, not S-E-W, but S-O-W, to plant. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon you. We call this Harvest Day. Tonight, our Harvest Hoedown. And I hope you come. Wear your cowboy outfit, your best hoedown outfit. Come and enjoy our fellowship. But on Harvest Day, we often think of, well, we want to reach the un unreached. We want to reach the unchurched. And my friends, I'm telling you, everyone in our community has not been reached with the gospel. People need the Lord. Your coworkers, your neighbors, your teammates, your classmates, this community needs Jesus as bad as any other place on the face of the earth. And if you're waiting for some magical, mystical event to happen, you're going to miss it. Because you see that magical, mystical thing he tells us in the Pauline epistles as us men 
talked about in the last six weeks is that great mystery. And what is the mystery? The body of Christ. It's the church. We're a mystery the world doesn't understand. We are, we are the catalyst. We are the tools that God uses to plant the seed. But today I want to look at a little different harvest message. A little different sowing and reaping message. Not just in planting the gospel seed in the lost, but how we plant and harvest in our own lives. Growing up, I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up, I grew up pretty much right downtown Powder Springs. Now, it was country, but it wasn't rural country. But in my grandfather's mind, he was working a thousand acres. He just, you know, he grew up on the farm, and I've got pictures of both my grandfathers as boys picking cotton with their whole families. They were sharecroppers. They didn't own it. They were out there picking it for someone else. So he had that love, and so when he retired from the grocery store business, he had it in his mind, and, and we all kind of like to revert back to things. Uh, especially of our childhood, things of fondness. I can't understand for the life of me why anybody would want to refer back to work. But my grandfather did. And my dad was working, my mom was working, we lived right next door to each other. And so my grandparents were just really another set of parents. And so when we came home from school, first thing we did, we got a snack. Second thing we did was we did our homework. And the third thing is, we went with granddaddy. And granddaddy always, and he wouldn't just plant regular stuff. He wanted to try to raise potatoes and, and, and nothing ever seemed to make. But needless to say, he was going to plant something every year. And we, had, we did not have a tractor. We didn't even have one of these little mini tractors. You're looking at the tractor. And I'll never forget the tool of misery I mean, an ultimate implement of suffering and misery was this, was this six-foot-long spade mattock that my grandfather would give me. And it was pointed on one end about this long and square on the other. And the worst thing on the earth was weeding tomatoes. Because number one, I hated tomatoes. Number two was having to pull weeds. But before any of that ever happened, we'd go out there, and it was red dirt. It wasn't even hardly fit to grow a pine tree. There wasn't no sand. It wasn't no gray. It was red clay dirt. But he'd make us go out there and break it up. Church, listen to me today. I want to be very brief today. But the truth is, our lives as believers are laying there as fallow ground. You know what fallow ground means? It's land that has not been touched for years. It is that, that land that the, the agricultural contract says has got to lay dormant for so long. Do you know that between three and seven years, you could take a place and bulldoze the house with the most manicured yard, and if you turn it loose... It will reclaim itself within seven years, completely, as if nothing had ever been there. 
birds will fly in and drop seeds and uh, just the way God's nature works, it will reclaim itself and it becomes fallow ground. And what the prophet is telling today throughout this prophecy, now you need to understand, this is a pre-exilic prophecy. In other words, there is the prophecies that God sent to men to prophesy to Israel before they were exiled, before they went into Babylonian captivity. Then there were those who were exilic prophets that prophesied in the midst of their exile, and then there were those that were post-exilic. Hosea is a pre-exilic. He's telling them what's going to happen and what they need to do about it today. Church, it does not take a rocket scientist to look and see We need to break up that ground that we've let lay dormant for way too long. I'm all about inreach. Tonight is inreach. It's about our church coming together, fellowshipping, having a good time, using a hoedown thing, and we're going to have a wonderful, great time. This message is an inreach message to the church. See, he was speaking, he calls them Ephraim, but he's speaking to God's chosen people. He's speaking to Judah. He's telling them that it's time to seek the Lord. I'm going to preach the message backwards today. You say, well, you're always backwards. Well, I, I agree with that. But look at verse 12. He said, sow to yourself in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up. This fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. The first thing is, we've got to understand that there's forgotten fields that are really just lives of believers. We go about our life like nothing happens. He speaks of Ephraim earlier in this chapter, and he says that Ephraim, Ephraim is like like a cow, like a heifer that has not not had a a, a collar or a yoke put on it, and just allowed to go out and to tread the corn. It literally is going out and just being turned loose to roam. And I'm afraid the church feels like that today. We feel like we're empowered. Oh, I'm saved so I can go, do, be, and say whatever I want to do. But God is calling them back to a place to understand it's time to seek the Lord. He tells the same same children, Ephraim, he said, though you have wandered around as a cow, just eating what you want, treading out the corn, I am going to make them ride upon you. That I am going to look on your fair neck. In other words, there were no calluses from the yoke. This was an unyoked ox that was doing whatever And wherever and whenever it pleased. Some of us today know in our spirit, we go to church, read our Bible, but when it comes to being what God has called us to be, we've taken off our yoke. You say, well, but but we're not under condemnation. We don't, it's not, listen, it's not about that. He tells us that we have a yoke, does he not? Does Jesus not tell us we have a yoke? He said, it's easy, but we still have a yoke. He said, to deny ourselves in the world, take up our cross, not his cross. He bore the sins of mankind on his cross. 
Our cross is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. There is a reasonable service in the life of a believer. There are forgotten fields, forgotten fields that, first of all, needs to take priority. He said, what is the priority? It's time to seek the Lord. It's time to seek the Lord. We'll sit through church. We'll look at our watch. Well, okay, it's 1030. Let's start. Okay, this time the preacher's going to get up. All right, and this time he ought to be quiet, but he don't. And this time we'll probably get out, maybe. And then we've got to be back at this time to get all the rest of the stuff done. And then we're going to start at this time. And we should be done at this time. And I've got to be at work at this time. And practice starts at this time. And I've got this meeting at this time. And I'm going to eat at this time. And we have all these times except for time for the Lord. Church, it's time to seek the Lord. Not seek the next cool fad in Christianity. Not to seek the next best-selling book. i got news for you. We still got the best-selling book of all time. Just need to open it and read it. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of not taking the time. We can take time to do what we want, don't we? You will make time. Listen to me. You'll make time for what you want to do. Well, preacher, I just don't have time for Sunday school. We just, I'm just too tired. Listen, you'll make time for what you want to do. You can stay up late, but get up and go hunt. You can stay up late for your show and get up early and go to work. It's time to seek the Lord. He said, Israel, you've done what you wanted to do for far too long, and you don't even realize what you're headed into. We are carrying ourselves into a captivity of the flesh. We're letting the world, aren't you tired? We, we all say it, and I think you'll all amen it. Aren't you tired of the oppression of religious liberty in America? And yes, Satan is ultimately responsible, but make no mistake about it, we've allowed it. It's time to seek the Lord. It's time. Our forefathers, they're trying to revise history and say, oh, we were not based on Judeo-Christian principles. Oh, it wasn't about religious liberty. Don't you let anyone lie that into your heart. Our forefathers got on their face and sought God. The people who planted this church got on their face before God and says, God, what would you have us to do? And you know what they saw when they looked at their spiritual watch? God says it's time to seek me at Eastside Mission, at Eastside Baptist Church. When God led you here, and for my family, six years ago, it was time to seek the Lord here, what God wanted for our life. However you came, it's time. In Romans 13 11, he said it this way. He said it's high time to seek the Lord. I don't know about you, but I can remember growing up, my dad said, it's high time you clean your room. Now, if he used the word high in front of time, that means it's past time. Y'all, y'all with me? Now, it is high time. I, that was my daddy. I just heard my daddy speak. It is high time that you get up from that table and go do what I told you to do. It's high time. And some things in our life we're just letting lay dormant. But you've got to understand, laying dormant means it's reclaiming itself. 
Now, the world can't have our spirit and who we are in Christ, but I'm going to tell you something. You start dabbling in the world, you start running with the world, the world will claim your testimony because you're a witness. At all times, if you're a Christian, you're a witness. You're either a bad witness or a good witness, but you're a witness. And it is time, church, the priority he tells in this text. He said, Ephraim, Israel, Christian, it's time to seek the Lord. What do you need to be seeking the Lord in? How many seniors we have in this room? High school seniors. Not senior adults. Good try. How many, how many high school seniors? Ethan, Milligan, any others? Peyton, you're bright. You're not that bright. Uh, so we got two. People have been asking you, hey, where are you going to school? What are you going to do? And, and you're thinking about it. And, and, and you know what? There, that time is here. That time is coming. And, and it develops. Senior adults. Thinking about retirement. Thinking about what we're going to do. Those of us, I got a call this morning from my dear friend, uh, Dr. Merritt, who said, hey, I'm thinking about putting together a special pastoral training for guys who are in the midst of ministry about middle ways through looking toward the future and planning the transition in life. I thought, well, why are you asking me? <laughs> and then I realized I are one. You know, we wake up and we say, where'd the time go? Right? I cannot tell you the thousands of times I've seen someone post pictures of their children on Facebook and say, oh, time, slow down. Time, stand still. You know, I look at a picture from Friday night after the ball game and my, four, my family, us four, standing there at the end of the victor's field, and seeing my daughter that's a sophomore in college, and my son that's a senior in high school, playing his last high school season. And I think, where'd the time go? Where, where'd that seven-year-old go, go that I coached in peewee football? You know, where'd my little girl go that at 10 o'clock at night, was going to come find Daddy's lap, no matter what. And time continues to go. And sometimes we wake up, and we realize we haven't made some decisions. Church, don't live with regret in your walk. You say, well, you're just trying to be sentimental. I'm, I've got news for you. There's a lot of things you can buy and sell and trade. Time's not one of them. You'll never regain it. It's time to seek the Lord. That's the priority. That's the priority. Listen, when we come tonight and we hold down and do all the things we're going to do and have the candy and the country music and the hay rides and all, that's wonderful. But you know what? We're still the church of the living God. And we ought to still, if someone walks up here 
that does not know Eastside Baptist Church, they ought to see Jesus. Amen. Matt prayed that this morning. I, I was really, that spoke to my heart out of everything, more than the songs or anything, was his prayer. God, that you would be glorified in everything we do today. Everything. It's time to seek the Lord. It's time, listen, some of it means you're saved, you've been born again, but you're not, you've never been baptized. Listen, the water's not that deep. You will not drown. I joke with the kids sometimes, but I promise you, we've never lost one. Not even one. There's been several that thought they were drowning. Nobody's ever drowned in the baptistry. Listen, if Jesus can go hang on the cross for you and you claim the blood of Jesus, why can't you get wet for him? It's obedience. It's not going to save you. It's going to show the world if you really are saved. And if, if God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son and we love him because he first loved us, why can't we love him in action? It's high time we seek the Lord. Can I say to the teenagers, especially you boys, because I, I was one. Seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old. My daddy had a lot of sage, wise, spiritual advice, and I didn't listen to any of it. That's my biggest regret. Out of every, and I got a lot of it. That's my biggest regret. Is not listening to the spiritual advice. But you know what? There was a day. How many ordained men we have in this room? What was the most special thing of your ordination? Mike, what was the most special thing of your ordination? When they come put their hands on you and pray, and they always say something to you. They, they, remember when they come and they whisper a little something? Listen, I'm knelt down. Gives me chills now. My pastors came by. My deacons came by. Men that I looked up to all my life. Even my granddaddy came by and laid his hand. But when my daddy put his hands on me, I didn't have to look up to know whose hand was on my shoulder. And when my daddy whispered those ears, those words in my ear, the overwhelming truth that he spoke into my heart means more than anything he could have ever bought me. And today, listen, if you hear any, nothing else I've got to tell you today, hear me as your pastor. It's time to seek the Lord. Not tomorrow, because it's not promised. Not next week, not after the first of the year, not when your kids get a year older, where you feel like you're more comfortable to bring them and leave it. Now, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Paul urgently, urgently told them at Rome. He told them in Galatians. He told them in Ephesians, redeem the time. Now is the time. 
It's high time to seek the Lord. That's the priority. But notice the process. He tells us to break up the fallow ground. Now, I was a builder by trade. The one thing I love more than anything else in the build, I love to see once the framing, because it happened so fast. You know, once it was framed and dried in, it was like, slam on the brakes. You know, if you've ever built a house and they framed it, and you thought, man, this thing's going to be done. We'll be done in a month. And six months later, you're trying to figure out what kind of light fixture. We traumatized our kids at Lowe's. They still refuse to go into a load, literally. They do. They despise because we'd stand there and just stare at light fixtures. Well, what about that? I don't know. What about no, I don't know. And we'd go back home. We'd go back and do it again. But the thing that I loved more than anything was when we would pull up at the site. And it'd be pine trees. And if I had any... Anything I could do in the world, I didn't ever cut an oak tree. I couldn't, st- I love me some oak tree. And so I'd build around that oak tree if I could. But then we would unload that loader or whatever and we'd push out that lot. And we'd clear all the set, we'd get rid of all the wood and all the roots down where the foundation was. And all of a sudden, this just a wooded lot becomes place of building we break up the ground I remember going to Colorado one time hunting and they put us out and we had to walk across a field and and Ray it was like you know in my mind when I got out it's early in the morning they said just walk right over there and then there's this little there's this little canyon thing they didn't call it a canyon I forget Butte or something and and they said it's just this little thing and you'll be able to overlook it listen it's like Texans call bushes trees they're, 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 they call them mesquite trees. They're bushes. We call them hedges. They're not trees. You know, we have trees, our trees, 80, 120 foot tall. Theirs may be eight foot tall. They don't have trees. Well, it's reversed in Colorado. What they call a hole, we call a canyon. And what they call a field, we call a county. And so they put me out that morning. Me and my buddy Joey, and they said, okay, just walk across this field right here. You'll get to the. So we, we got out, and we got all our stuff. And it's cold. We got our backpacks on. We got our guns. We got our spotting scopes. And we got all this kind of stuff. And we start walking, and we get about 30, 40 yards, and then we get to where they had plowed. Well, they had harrowed it up. Well, it ain't like the hair where we do. The, hair, the dirt was that thick. I mean, it was knee-deep where they had broke up that ground that had laid dormant. And we walked for, I don't know, seven, eight hours, it seemed like. Probably an hour, literally, across this field to this little butte, which was half-mile wide canyon, quarter-mile deep. But I, I remember, I can still in my mind see where it rolled up that dirt. That was, I mean, and I thought, Good grief, how, much, how big are those discs that's rolling that thing up? Well, I'm going to tell you, our life is just laying there like hard pan, laying there like dirt that's not been touched in years. And there is a, a wealth of minerals laying in that dirt of our lives 
that we must break up. The process is breaking up. How do we do it? First of all, repent. Repent of letting it, letting it just lay there. He said in verse 8, the high places also of Avon, the sins of Israel, shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come up on their altars. We have allowed the thorns and the thistles of this life to choke out our spiritual walk. Israel had let the busyness and the prosperity of this world choke out God's voice in their nation. They had belittled the altar of God and they had embraced the altar of the world. He tells us that right here, that they had worshipped idols. He said, so it is my desire that I should chastise them. It's time for us to repent of the ground land and then to repair. You know, sometimes you break up that ground. I love to watch farmers work. Farmers get a bad rap. They just country bumpkin. Listen, you've got to have, I mean, you've got to have the most in-depth wealth of knowledge to understand the minerals and the makeup of the dirt and when to put stuff in and when to take stuff out. And they start getting in. It's like a, 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 a laboratory science. They talk about nitrogen and if you plant peanuts too much and then it'll deplete the nitrogen and so you got to put this back. And it's unbelievable the, the wealth and depth of knowledge that goes into that stuff. Listen, that's how you repair, how you fix. Because some, some harvest, if you plant something every year, you'll suck all the minerals out, right? And then you've got to let it lay there. You've got to somehow put it so you alternate the crops. Listen, there's times in our life where God is calling us to disciple, and, to, and, and we ought to always be a witness. But then there are other times it's really evangelistically focused. There's seasons of our life, right? There's seasons of our life. There's seasons of, of serving. There's seasons to be served. He tells us, listen, what we've got to do is repair the ground of our life. We repent and repair. And how do we repair? We seek God's blessings on our life. If we expect to see a numerical harvest of souls, then we have got to be sowing spiritual seed but it starts before we ever put a seed in the ground. The ground's got to be right. Right? And you say, well, what, you know, what does a farmer do when, I mean, after they pick everything in October and, you know, September, November, if it's late, even sometimes even to December, what do they do between now and April? Well, they just sit around and go fishing. Listen, tractors to fix, things break, and you ain't got time. You, you just make do until the end, then you repair all your equipment. Get all right. In the quiet times, listen, there's seasons in your life where you have a quiet moment. God gives you time, right? Y'all with me on this? I mean, Y'all hearing what I'm telling you? There's seasons in your life of rest where you're not pushed out into the front. You know, Romy, when you serve in the military, if you're in war, you only stay there so long. I think about the stories of the bombing crews and the, the, uh, the pilots of World War II. They were only supposed to fly 24 missions. And then they had to come off the battlefield 
for a certain amount of time before they could go back. There's a time of refreshing. There's a time of retreat. Listen, what did Jesus tell his disciples? Come away with me and pray. There's a time. There's a time to relax. I've loved, I told Philip this morning, and I know, ladies, you've enjoyed your time, but I enjoyed the last six weeks. I sat in the back of the room and got to sit and be taught and to grow and to be refreshed. And Philip and the other men in that class were pouring new spiritual nutrients into my life. So that my ground could be repaired to be everything God wants me to be. But in that process of repentance and repair, there's got to be a replacement. When that ground is first broke up, there's things like right outside that door. Didn't you say it come off the Dixon place? It's hard to plow with that in the field. You go out there and you chain, how many of you ever chained up a stump? Take, wrap that chain around the stump, pull it up, get it out of the field, take rocks, push it out of the side. Imagine what they did before they had what we got. That makes me respect those guys even more. But you've got to replace the things and pull that out and bring in soil, bring in the topsoil, bring in the richness that it takes. He said, we need to replace the thorns and the thistles that have overgrown our lives. But notice the practice. He said, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. What did he tell us in Galatians? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For with what you sow, that shall you also reap. I'm afraid. Hear me now. I'm afraid some of us are sowing in gardens we're going to wish we didn't have to reap. If you're putting it into the ground of your life, it's going to come up. Remember what he said? I love to chastise them. He was saying I chastise them because I love them. There's things in my life that I look back on now and say, this is my fault today. I had a man, the first church member I ever preached a funeral over. Went to visit him shortly before he died. Matter of fact, when I left his house that day, not that I'm brilliant, but when I left that day, I told the man that was visiting with him, I, I said, that'll be my first funeral. About two weeks later, I preached at that man's funeral. But in that last visit I had with him, he said, Pastor, I want to tell you, because you're going to preach my funeral, I deserve everything I've got because of the way I live. When I was younger, I thought I could party and do and go and be part of the clique and part of the crowd, and I could say, oh, but I'm doing a civic duty. He said, and I turned my back on God, and I am now reaping what I have sowed. You see, the practice is we've got to sow. Matthew Henry said every action, every action is a seed sown. What kind of actions did you portray in the last year? In the last week? Just yesterday? What seed was planted in your actions? 
And listen, because you're at home, mom and dad, and it's just you and the kids, nobody else knows it. Your kids do. They're the ones that's going to be influenced more than the rest. You are, it's not the school. It's not the Sunday school teacher, and it's sure not the youth pastor. It's you. You are the spiritual caregiver of your children. I respect and I am very thankful for those who have poured into the life of my children. But I have never lived in a pipe dream to think I'm not going to be the sole number one person that answers for how they were raised. Me. Me. And so I need to be sowing actions in their life that they see Christ in me. I'm thankful my father and dad, uh, father and mother did. Thankful I had grandparents that lived a life that resembled Christ. I'm thankful for church members and Sunday school teachers that lived a life of sowing gospel seed. Sowing in righteousness is what he said. What, how, how do you sow in righteousness? Because we talk about sowing the gospel in lost people. What does it mean for a believer to sow to yourselves in righteousness? Planting that which is God-pleasing in our life. What are we putting in? Because Paul said what goes in comes out. Right? I mean, isn't that what he said? So are we sowing to ourselves that which pleases God? Are we pouring into our lives? And, and you know, we, us Baptists, they say Catholics will pray you to death. Baptists will work you to death. There's a lot of truth there. We need to be busy with this ministry. And that and it's true. But as I've said before, there's a time that we need to be poured into. And sometimes it's about allowing God to plant that righteousness in our life so that when people see us, we're refreshed in our spirit that we are God-pleasing. God-pleasing. that make any sense? We're pouring into our lives things that pleases God. Filth in is filth out. You read filth, watch filth, listen to filth. Bad music, bad language, bad relationships. The Bible says commute uh, uh, messes up good communication. Bad manners. It will upset your spirit. Now, I'm just telling you. You ever been around somebody that's negative all the time? I'm talking about all the time. You know, I, I, it's like the story I heard of the two boys that, uh, twin boys. And at Christmas, they were, I don't know, they're about 10 years old. And uh, they did a little experiment. Mom and dad did a little experiment on these boys. And uh, they wanted a pony for Christmas. They wanted a pony for Christmas. And oh, they'd ask and they'd ask and they'd wrote letters and everything else. And so that morning Christmas broke. And those boys woke up. And one of them looked over and said, oh, I can't wait, I can't wait. And the other one said, I bet we don't get it. Oh, no, I just know it. I just know. Oh, no, you are so silly. 
They don't beat up. So they go outside. And when they walked out onto the front yard, there in the middle of the yard was a pile of horse manure. And one boy looked over and said, horse manure, I told you. And the other boy broke free, jumped off the porch, and at full stride running, diving into that uh, pile of manure, said, I just know there's a pony in here somewhere. (laughs) I don't know about you, but there's days in my life where I just look around and I think, it's all manure. See, the pony was there. He was just tied around the back. He wanted to see the appreciation and what they really, really thought. You see, sometimes in the midst of the greatest trials and tragedy comes the greatest blessing. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It literally does. And some of you have had your greatest moments of faith and clarity and, and, and sharing your faith in the midst of the deepest heartache. Israel was fixing to go through their greatest trials. I tell you, and I really believe, America is in the midst of some of the greatest trials it's ever faced. When, when would there be a better time for us to say God is on the throne? But we must sow in righteousness that which is God-pleasing and in recognition. He said in Luke 10, he is the Lord of the harvest. It's not our harvest. It's not the pastor's harvest. It's not the televangelist's harvest. It's not the deacon's harvest. It's not the Southern Baptist harvest. It's God's harvest. It's God's field. It's God's seed. And we need to recognize that when we sow. But then the reap. He said if we sow in righteousness, we will reap in mercy. What does that mean? It means that it's not about our work. It's not because we did something. Ray, you ever planted and the sun didn't shine the way it should or it rained too much or didn't rain enough? It didn't come up. So even though you did everything you were supposed to do, there was no harvest. You see, it's the Lord of the harvest. Y'all hear what I just said? You see, he said, if we will sow in righteousness, we we shake our fist at God and say, God, do you not realize I gave $10,000 last year to the church? Why are you letting me go through this? Do you not realize I teach a Sunday school class, God? Have you forgotten how good I am? And he says, have you not remembered I'm the Lord of the harvest, not you? It's not about how good you are. Because listen, we sow in righteousness, we reap in mercy. Now here, we reap in mercy, not merit. We reap in mercy, not merit. It's undeserved. Every spiritual blessing from on high, you and I do not deserve. You ever looked at somebody and said, bless God, they got what they deserve. Don't say that. Don't say that. And whatever you do, don't be so unspiritual and so unknowing of the spiritual lifestyle and the difference between Christianity 
and apostasy and use words like, well, that's karma. We're not Hindus. We're not Buddhists. We do not believe in Eastern mysticism. We do not believe in karma nor nirvana. We do not believe in reincarnation. We believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son, died for our sins, rose again. We have one life here, but if we're born again, we'll live everlasting. We're not coming back to try it again. When we are saved, we're coming back, but we're coming back to rule and reign with him. Stop this business of karma. They deserve it. Uh, Because listen, if you all, me included, if we got what we deserve, we would just be throwing us a hell party because that's where we would be going. That's hard to remember when you've been saved 40 years. We need to remember, man, I've told you this before. It still sticks in my memory. A Bible professor when I first started in Bible college, every time it seemed like when he prayed, he said, oh, dear God, and as we study your word, we'd be, we'd be studying the book of Exodus. He said, oh, God, as we study your word tonight, I pray that you would dangle us by a threaded cord over the pits of hell to remind us of what you saved us from so that we may share with others that they may be saved too. Man. To be reminded of what we deserve because we reap in mercy and in ministry we share the love that we have received. So what's the provision? How do we take care of forgotten fields? How do we realize the priority? How do we follow the process and the practice of spiritually sowing and reaping in our own lives? It's all made possible by the truth of the fulfilled prophecy of chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. He said, Hosea, you've neglected me. You've turned your back on me. Tell the nation of Israel they have committed a grave atrocity. They have committed adultery against the God that loves them. But go, go to Gomer as I am coming to Israel and saying, come back home. I'm paying for your full release. Break up your fallow ground. Plant seeds of righteousness. Reap in mercy. Because I'm making the way through my precious son, Jesus Christ. As they come to the instruments this morning. Before we can sow the seeds of the gospel to the world, there needs to be a breaking up of ground in our life. Have you just grown cold? I talked about the fun of breaking ground. I love pushing out that new lot, but you know what? I hated doing it in the middle of the wintertime. But oh, we'd try to schedule to where we could do jobs do basements, or we'd be, have a house dried in so we could kind of at least get inside with a propane heater. And we'd try to plan around March or April. We could go break ground, and man, the weather would be beautiful. The rains would hold off, and we could go at it wide open. Jeremiah said, the harvest is past and the summer is ended, and we're still not saved. Don't wait. 
It's high time to seek the Lord. It's time to break up that ground that's hard, frozen, rocky, just choked out with the thorns of this life. Let God sink His plow deep into your heart. Turn over that which is laying there so that it may break forth into new life. Live like never before in your walk. If you need Jesus as your Savior, today is your day. If you are laying there and the seed is not breaking forth, it's being choked out by the things of this world, come and pray that God would plow a row right through the middle of your life so that you could reap that mercy that only He can give. Come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus. That son, that child that came out of Egypt died on a cross that we may be set free. May our fields, a week from now, a month from now, as we glance over it, I saw one this week, and it was two bell cotton. Beautiful, high, thick. It had been defoliated. Oh, it looked like snow. Pretty cotton. May the world see that kind of fields in our life. Come to Jesus today as they sing. Come, come pray.